0: This Pharaoh looking for two Doncaster straight. Can he do it again? Light up the world is getting up near the fence, but Pharaoh, Pharaoh, dash to the lead from Abbe Glennon. Light up the world, followed by Arrogent and Brave Warrior. But Gavanees goes for home on Pharaoh. Look at that, he, Mary, Arty Mary, out of the pack. This podcast is brought to you Faro by Racing New South Wales, Sky Faro, Racing, and Arty Arty Pride's Third Easy Feed. The Group One Kia Tancred Stakes will highlight another day of Group racing at Rosehill Gardens on March twelfth. The race was inaugurated in 1963 as the Tancred Cup of a mile and a half, but has had several name changes over the years under sponsorship arrangements. The race resumed its original name in 2018. Younger racing fans might be interested to know that this race is named after Henry Eugene Tancred, who joined the Sydney Turf Club board in 1943 and became chairman ten years later. A progressive thinker, Tankred Tancred pushed for such innovations as the photo finish camera, starting gates, electronic timing and later for the introduction of the Golden Slipper. In sport Harry Tancred had been a notable We've player a in both league and union, in business he'd been so a pioneer really in meat wholesaling and, and exports and as a racehorse owner a of he'd other been lucky enough to well race the 1940s champion High Cast. The race named in Harry Tancred's honour was inaugurated two years after his passing in 1961 and has been the domain of good horses ever since. The most notable include Makibi Diva, Might and Power, Bozam, Bone Crusher, and the two time winners Tie the Knot and Octagonal. The Kia Tancred Stakes will be supported by the Vinery Stakes as the Group 1 features on Saturday, March 25th at Rosehill Gardens. If you're one of those horse lovers who cares about the afterlife of retired racehorses, you'll be delighted to hear about a recently launched website totally dedicated to this all-important subject. The site was launched during the recent Asian Racing Conference in Melbourne and is simply called offthetrackhorses.com.au. It will become the go-to hub for equestrian and racing industry participants who want to know which horses have gone to new homes and what they're likely to be doing in the future. This new independent online platform is the brainchild of a great lady, a devoted horse lover and a respected member of the Australian media. I first met Joe McKinnon in 1998, when she was lured from Network 10 in Melbourne to join the Sky Channel team entrusted with the launch of the new and very exciting Home Racing Channel. Jo was in fact the first female presenter to appear on the groundbreaking coverage. It was immediately obvious that we had on the team a young lady with an unbridled passion for racing and a fanatical love of horses. All horses but especially Thoroughbreds. In the 25 years since the birth of the Home Racing Service, Joe's talents have taken her to many places and many challenges, not only in television presentation and production, but in marketing and promotion, and even to the role of documentary maker. Joe has been thinking about this new website for a long time, She has painstakingly planned the format and the likely content, and I'm looking forward to talking to her about it. May I introduce the world's most passionate horse lover, Joe McKinnon.
1: Wow, what an introduction. Thank you, Taffy. It's an absolute honour to be talking to you.
0: The introduction is all true, may I say. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes well i i have had an obsession that's probably fair to say with horses since i was a very young age tappy uh i remember fawning over them in uh racing magazines that belonged to my father when i was um barely able to walk or talk um mm. yeah great memories there of a young being a young child and and just having an absolute obsession with with horses and fascination for them And i've been very lucky to since then, in the many years after those days, um, be able to forge a, a living and a career out of them.
0: I'll bet you were hacking around the property on a retired racehorse when the idea of the website first popped into your head.
1: Mm. Well, Tappy, my um, affiliation with off-the-track horses goes back to my childhood days. Um, as a young teenager, I was quite tall for my age then, and graduated onto hack size horses pretty pretty young. So, um, we didn't have huge budgets to spend on on horses. We had to make our own. So, um, off-the-track horses were um, within the budget. Some of them just giveaways. Let alone being able to pick them up for a couple of thousand dollars. So. Um, back then I used to visit racing stables with my mum in search of the next best show hack we could find and um, so that connected me to racing back then as well but um, my love of the off the track horses began from that very young age. Um, I've worked with them for a long time competing and showing them around Australia and then um, in more recent years I've been rehoming them uh, as well and, and doing the same competing on them. I've sort of reconnected with horses in recent years since I moved to the country in new south wales so yes i think it's probably fair to say tappy that there were many thought processes on my long rides out on the farm over the past mm. couple of years about how we can better promote off the track horses there's so much being done in this space these days by the industry um and hence the idea to come up with a more independent site that could promote all the good work that's being done
0: mm. before launching the site Did you test the potential interest among your many horsey friends?
1: Yes, I did. Um, Certainly tested it within uh, my family and friendship circles. They all thought it was a great idea. But bringing these things to fruition can often prove challenging and and they're tough on your time and and your own financial resources. I'm funding this all myself. so. I certainly gauged the opinion of of many that I respect that are close to me and that are connected to horses as well, and they all thought it was a great idea. So it's just been a matter of, uh, since planting the seed, um, tweaking and fine-tuning the framework for the the website and and how I envisage it all working and, and evolving. So we've managed to launch stage one of it, it will evolve and develop over time, and So far, um, the interest and the feedback that I've had from within and outside of the industry has been tremendous.
0: What do we get to see on offthetrackhorses.com.au?
1: Yep. So there are a number of pillars um, attached to it. So basically, the site um, has, um, because there are so many events taking place now that are specifically for Off the Track Horses Tappy. Um, I felt that there was a need to create a hub that centralises all of that information. So a young girl with a a hack out in country New South Wales wants to know where her next nearest show is. She can go to this site and look up her state and her region and find Mm. associated off the track events that are taking place and that will hopefully build and encourage participation of, of riders in those events. So an event schedule is really important as well as Mm. coverage of those events where possible as well. We've got a marketplace for off-the-track horses and news stories and feature stories as well.
0: Mm. And guest contributions, I believe, from many people in the racing industry.
1: Yes. So the plan is to involve as many accredited and respected people as possible that are working at the coalface of the off-the-track space. Um, there are a number of um, rehoming specialists in New South Wales, in Queensland, in Victoria. The, the race in Victoria off-the-track has done tremendous things and they've really been leaders I think in this space for a long time there's so many wonderful people doing great work and it's going to be a way of um, further sharing their great insights into how to manage an off-the-track horse and get the best out of it
0: Mm. I've jotted down the names of two young ladies who will be giving you a hand what will Annabelle Zeister and Jodie Bussell be doing?
1: So Annabelle uh, has been of her own volition going out to various off-the-track connected events for quite a while now, and I was seeing her great work on social media and the internet for a while and reached out to Annabelle to see if she might be interested in supporting this concept, and she really jumped on board. She's been absolutely wonderful from the get-go, not only in, in encouraging me to take the step to launch the site but also providing some amazing imagery that you see flowing through the website and the social media platforms. So she is an absolute asset and crucial to to this all being able to happen. And Jodie Bussell um, is a photographer, and aspiring journalist based in Victoria, who was recommended to me, Tappy, by um, someone I've known in the equestrian media for a long, long time um, in Victoria, Fran Cleland. Um, She recommended... Jodie, as someone that might be able to contribute. So I got in touch with her, and a bit like Annabelle, uh, she had no hesitation in in getting involved. And she's so far filed a a lovely story on a a rather troublesome off the track horse down there in Victoria that's gone on to do great things. She takes beautiful photographs as well. So Mm. they're the two main contributors at this point in time, and my good self as well. where possible, I'll be contributing content as well.
0: So it's a labour of love, isn't
1: it? It is um, for sure. Um, certainly, to this point, longer term, I think it has the potential um, to be a self-funding model. That's the plan to um, to grow it and monetise it. I'm talking at the moment with a number of potential sponsors and, and commercial partners. So. Um, that's all in train at the moment they're very excited by the concept and, and want to be involved so that's really encouraging mm. uh, and racing and sports um, a global huge racing and wagering website have also um, supported off the offthetrackhorses.com.au they've supplied a, a click-through banner on the home page of their website they're going to cross-promote through their site a lot of our content so it reaches uh, a much bigger audience and and really reaches the people that are involved in racing tappy as owners, and punters—that um, that are, you know, creating these the need for these off the track horses to to find homes and be looked after and managed well. Mm.
0: Let's review your remarkable career in media. It was 1993 when you started work as a copy girl at the Herald and Weekly Times in Melbourne. What were your duties back then?
1: So I wrote a letter to the editor-in-chief at the time, Steve Harris of the Herald and Weekly Times, uh, and I think my mum still got a copy of that handwritten letter somewhere, mm. um, begging for a, a a look in the door there for a job. I was desperate to become a journalist, and I was prepared. I think I offered to be even be a street sweeper out the front there on Flinders <laughs> the Street. <laughs> um, I was that keen to get involved. I was, uh, you know, going to start from the the lowest levels possible if I had to to um to get my career going as a journalist and um, I think he found um, a bit of comedy, uh, if you like, in in that letter. He probably felt a bit sorry for me and thought, better give this poor kid a go. Mm. So um, I was at the time studying journalism at Deakin University and I was in the second year of that course and I got the call uh, to see if I wanted to come and do work experience, which I did for two weeks and in my mid-semester holidays. And in the second week there, they offered me the role of copy girl, which Mm. I took without hesitation. And um, the rest is sort of history in that journey. I I applied for the cadetship intake that was six months later at the end of that year and was one of eight journalists um, selected from thousands of applicants to do um, one of their prized cadetships at the Herald and Weekly Times. And that gave me an opportunity to work on various newspapers that are part of the HWT stable. Um, And within those papers, different sections of those papers, from police rounds through to rural rural reporting and Mm. and daily news. So it gave me a real insight into the various um, subject matter that journalists cover and and helped, I guess, shape my interest in what was to be. Mm.
0: And fortunately and thankfully, there was a little bit of sport and racing uh, in that early experience, much to your delight.
1: Yeah. Well, I had to, again, sort of get pretty proactive with the editor at the time because they'd stopped cadets going into the racing department, Tappy, um, because they got caught up on the punt a little bit and they limited wages. So they didn't think it was a good idea sending young staff into the racing department. So they put a stop to sending cadets on the rotation there for a while. But um, I um, expressed my keenness to the editor at the time um, to go and spend period working in that department and they relented and um, I was given three months initially uh, in racing. So I got to work on the daily uh, sports sort of racing coverage, but also what was then the Sporting Globe, a famous newspaper that's uh, long closed now, but I got to work on that as well. And um, three months turned into six. I think I, I didn't want to leave after the three months. I loved it so much.
0: Mm. Well, then came your entry into commercial television. You landed a job as a sports reporter with Network 10 and I believe you covered AFL, cricket, tennis, some racing and you got to work on 10's Melbourne Cup coverage. Now, you worked with some great professionals in that era, none more so than Peter Donegan. Mm, He was
1: a remarkable uh, professional to work with and, I was fortunate that he took me under his wing right from the get-go, Tappy, and um, helped shape a lot of my standards, which I still maintain today in terms of professionalism and approach and style of reporting. Um, he's an absolute doyen and master um, of his trade, one of the most respected you know, sports broadcasters in Australia. In the past few decades, so to get to work alongside um, Peter for the time that I did was was really crucial in my career and and helping me to form, I think, really positive um, working habits, particularly in the television space.
0: In 1998, Joe, you were pleasantly surprised when offered the role as Sky's first ever female anchor after the launch of the history-making home racing channel. It's part of everyday life now, but 25 years ago, it was a massive development in sports
1: media. It sure was, wasn't it? Uh, I remember when I had a, a phone call from the honchos in Sydney about this new channel they were starting on something called pay television and I wasn't sort of quite sure what it was all about um, but took the leap and left commercial TV because back then as you could well understand Tappy that was a big step to leave the commercial uh, television area and, and go mm. into this unknown world of pay television um, but I did it and it was a leap of faith I'm, I'm glad I took
0: You did many things over the next few years. You were live from the track at the Sydney Saturday Metropolitan Meetings. You were a member of the Racing Retro Panel on Sunday mornings, and you were called upon to present Australian racing to the United States. You did everything at Sky in those early days.
1: Yeah. You had to be versatile, Tappy, that's for sure, and uh – I got to work across a lot of areas. I absolutely adored going to the races every Saturday. Um, Ranwick the, the old Ranwick was one of my favourite race courses to go and regularly um, interviewing and, and seeing close, close up the likes of Bart Cummings and, and Gay Waterhouse, of course, and all those really iconic racing figures. And, at the time, working alongside you, Tappy, at a lot of those broadcasts was just uh, pinch yourself stuff. I still can't quite believe that I, I had that opportunity, but to to learn from people like yourself about broadcasting, but also horses and racing. Um, Darren Beeman was working with us, as you would remember, yeah. on the coverage back then as well. Um, he taught me how to read a race properly and. Oh, it just it was an unbelievable time of my life. And I, I look back on those days and still can't quite believe my luck, I guess. Mm. Um, you know, it was just a remarkable chapter in my life and my career. And I'm, I'm very, very um, privileged to have been able to enjoy that time.
0: How long were you with Sky the first time around?
1: So it was about five years, Tappy, that I worked with mm. Sky and um, loved every minute of it. But I also sort of, was getting the calling to to go and step into the racing administration side of things for a while and I eventually made that move, which was a really difficult decision because I was heading towards sort of the peak of my powers in my role at Sky. But Mm. sometimes it's not a bad thing to leave when you're on a bit of a high and go and challenge yourself in, in a new environment. So I did that and it gave me an opportunity to relocate back to Victoria as well with my family and be close to them again. I did miss them a lot moving to Sydney on my own at a pretty young age. Um, it was nice to be able to have the opportunity to go back and, and go and be closer to family again as well. So I took up the role as public affairs manager with Mooney Valley, yeah. which was a management position and a huge opportunity um, to broaden my skills in racing. I felt that if I ever went back to racing commentary that to have had some time working at a pretty high level of racing administration – my knowledge of the industry and the sport would be much deeper and much better and that potentially longer term I'd be able to bring that back to, to my commentating.
0: Mm. Night racing had not long gotten underway at Mooney Valley when you started there. must have been around 2004.
1: Mm. Yeah, night racing was a big part of uh, my job as a promotions uh, person for Mooney Valley. In my role, I did uh, public relations, media management and relations, marketing, sponsorship, you name it. Uh, a bit like the Sky Roll, you had to be pretty versatile and work across various areas. But one of uh, our main focuses at the time was on really – um, getting night racing rolling and, and promoting that. So uh, we came up with a, a night racing series and all these different promotional initiatives to, to lift the profile of night racing, which back then was still fairly new uh, to the racing and entertainment market.
0: The next challenge was a stint as marketing manager for Ozhorse, which was in the process of rebranding at the time. You were technically fostering interest in Australian racing nationally and internationally in fact you traveled to Asia several times during that period
1: Mm. that was a great uh, role I I really enjoyed my time at Aushorse I was working then uh, with Peter McGoran former federal minister uh, who took over as the chief executive of Thoroughbred Breeders Australia to which Aushorse is attached and we worked out of the same office there at Ramwick Racecourse but uh that role did take me to um, Asia a lot. We did a lot of promotional work and engagement with racing participants and investors in horses um, throughout Singapore and and Hong Kong. So that was a a wonderful experience to really start to internationalise my life and my career.
0: Mm. I seem to recall you were doing some work for the Nine Network during that time.
1: Yeah, that was great fun. Um, through my role with Oz Horse, um, I was promoted to um, focus where possible on the human side and the breeding side of horse racing. So they wanted to plant um, a presenter and a commentator into the Channel 9 coverage at the time that covered that angle. So that's that's where I got the leg up into that um, mm. position. And that was great fun because I'd never worked for the 9 Network before, your esteemed their tappy um, but I always looked at Channel 9 as one of the ultimate places to work in television terms so that was a great uh, thrill to be part of their coverage for a while on the big carnivals in both Melbourne and Sydney.
0: Joe I'll get you to stand by for a moment we're going to clear a commitment on the podcast and when we come back we'll talk about your return second time around with Sky Racing back after this with Joe McKinnon. Australian trainers are giving Pride's Racing Cube the thumbs up. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube is a set recipe formulation in which the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Mornington trainer Jason Warren introduced his horses to Racing Cube early this year and is delighted with the results.
1: We've had a great deal of success since making that change. So really pleased with rides and not only the
0: Racing Cubes, they've got a number of other feeds that work well for us. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at a very economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed stable. Trainers are giving it the tick of approval all around the nation. In the year of 2010, you returned for your second tenure with Sky. This time as the regular host of Racing Retro, which is still going uh, under the name of Sky Thoroughbred Weekly. You were studio host Wednesdays through Saturday and you got to produce and host another show that is still going, Bread to Win. I know you loved every moment of that.
1: Mm. Yeah, returning to Sky um, was like putting a pair of comfortable slippers on again. It was like going home in many ways. Um, I was thrilled to be asked to rejoin Sky um, for another stint. Um, I had missed broadcasting on the daily basis that I did before, so it was a great opportunity to to get back on the horse, so to speak. And um, then when I soon joined, I was offered the opportunity to host Retro, a show that I'd been so long involved in as a panellist with both yourself and Graham McNeice as the hosts. Uh, so for me, that was one of the biggest feathers in my broadcasting cap to be asked to come back and actually host Racing Retro.
0: Richard Friedman was a regular panellist <laughs> at the time and you'd lock horns with our Richard from time to time.
1: <laughs> oh. So much so that I think a lot of people would often approach me at the races and say, is this for real, or are you guys? Is this all just a bit of a, a g up? I said if it was if it was a g up and we we're acting, I'm in the wrong wrong game. I should be an actress myself. But it mm. was fair income. Um, oh, he still occasionally pushes my buttons, Richard, as he well knows. <laughs> mm. But um, it made for great television. I think people quite enjoyed the regular sparring that would go on between Richard and I.
0: Eventually those old itchy feet started to play up again and Mm -hmm. next thing we find you in Hong Kong working for the Jockey Club as a presenter at Happy Valley and Sha Tin and acting as chief anchor on such spectacular events as the Longines Masters, the biggest and richest equestrian event in Asia. In fact, you had an involvement there until very
1: recently. Yes, uh, that was um, an amazing journey and experience in my career and life, um, Hong Kong and working with the Jockey Club, uh, what an extraordinary organisation the Hong Kong Jockey Club is and being part of their broadcasts for a number of years um, as, as a commentator on track uh, and in the lead up to promoting their events on different television programs. The, the calibre of horses that they attract to Hong Kong for those major races is Unbelievable! The best jockeys, the best horses, the best trainers. Um, so that really stepped up my uh, knowledge and uh, involvement in racing. No, no question about that. And then on the equestrian side of things came. The opportunity to be involved with the, the Longines Hong Kong Masters, uh, an event driven by a group based out of Belgium, a mm. big show jumping, um, uh, what's the word? Entrepreneur, I guess you could call him, mm. um, Christophe Amieux, and he um, got me involved right from the from the outset. So before the event had even launched, they they engaged me to assist them to build the profile of equestrian sport in Hong Kong and and Asia. And um, so I was involved from the ground level on that event and saw it evolve into quite an amazing event on the Hong Kong social and, and racing calendar. I mean, they used to have to fly out all of the horses, Tappy, that participate in this jumping competition, the best Show jumping horses from right throughout Europe and even from America as well Um, as the UK, uh, they often fill an entire jumbo jet full of these horses that were Mm. worth up to 5 million euros each individually. So times that by 60-odd horses, that's a pretty valuable plane load of horse flesh coming Ooh. into Hong Kong um, and to watch them step off, you know, as you can imagine, I was pretty enamoured with, with a lot of those horses and then to watch them in action as well and be so close to all of that I look back at that as um, one of the highlights of of my life and career for sure, just having the great privilege to to work with riders and horses of that calibre and event organisers of that calibre. I mean, these people put on shows, Tappy, you just mm. can't believe um, the, the, the standard of the entertainment and, and the show. It, it's something to behold.
0: They know how to do it.
1: Yeah, they sure do.
0: <laughs> just to illustrate your remarkable versatility, I must remind our listeners that during your time in Hong Kong, you had a stint as food writer
1: for the very
0: well known Tasting Kitchen magazine. How yeah. the hell did that come about? <laughs>
1: so to um, a friend of mine an English uh, lady that was based in Hong Kong at the time that opportunity came about um, as you know Hong Kong is a very transient place people come and go and that's probably one of the tougher parts of being in Hong Kong is that you build these friendship groups and then they go and you're left to reconnect with other people and so it goes and Um, I'd formed a great friendship with this particular lady, Lucy Morgan, and she was leaving uh, Hong Kong to go back to England. She's a a great writer and still to this day specialises in the the food industry with her writing and work. But she said, look, I'm leaving to go back to England and there's this gig at Tasting Kitchen magazine that I've been doing. I absolutely (laughs) love it. Would you be interested? I said, well, Why I not? Any food Why before, not? But I, I certainly enjoy fine dining, so I'll give it my best shot. And uh, met with the editor of the magazine and and uh, got the green light to um, to fill her spot. So. Oh, gosh. I, I look back and it's quite surreal some of the places I was sitting in dining, private dinners with world-renowned chefs cooking privately for you, <laughs> sampling food, <laughs> wine, oh, um, sitting 100-plus floors up in Hong Kong buildings overlooking the harbour like I was a multi-billionaire <laughs> and uh, living the life. Um, didn't do much good for my waistline at the time, I, I don't think. I had to up the ante with my hikes up the top. (laughs) Hippo
0: Mountain. Someone's got to do it, Joe.
1: Yeah, no, it was good fun.
0: You were back in Australia in 2014 to work for the VRC as head of PR for the Victorian Spring Carnival. You were involved in promotion and media management. You do that on your ear.
1: Uh, It was a great way to um, transition back into Australia because. When you leave the ranks here and particularly in the racing media, which is small and niche and positions are hard fought, it's, hard to get back in no matter how good you are or who you are so uh, the opportunity came up um, for someone to join that team in the PR space which is annually a a contract role uh, that they have so it's only a three-month role at the peak of the the carnival time for the VRC so I threw my hat in the ring and applied for the, the job and fortunately got it so um, yeah, got to work on, on the Melbourne Cup and, and the lead up to that week um, and the actual week itself, um, which was a great experience and great way to reconnect again with Australian racing at its best.
0: Next adventure was a two year stint with EA equestrian australia handling pr and media liaison
1: yes again one of those things a door opens and i like to walk through them whenever i can um nothing what do they say better to regret the things you've done than the things you haven't so up (laughs) came an opportunity to join um, equestrian australia and given my lifelong background in equestrian sports and then my more recent time in hong kong working on high level equestrian i just saw it as a Um, a perfect opportunity to to do similar work, but here in Australia. So to work with the Peak Body, um, EA, um, came up and I I very happily took that role. It was a two-year contract I did with them and I got to work very closely with uh, the Australian equestrian team and the high-performance area of of EA, Um, got to cover some of the biggest equestrian events around Australia. We would fly in and, and cover those for for the social media and website and uh, liaise with the media on equestrian sport as well. So that was a, a lot of fun. I really enjoyed my time with EA. It's, it's a challenging landscape, though, equestrian sport, Tappy, they They can be a bit hard to handle, these horsey people, (laughs) Mm. i found, found. And and certainly the sport uh, in general, you know, having had that taste of, you know, world's best practice in Hong Kong with the equestrian event there, you know, I think it's fair to say, and people here would be first to admit, in equestrian sport in Australia, we've got a long way to go to get anywhere near those standards. But i tell you what, when it comes to Olympics and World Equestrian Games, we bat way above, don't we? Um, we're mm. always really competitive or, and meddling, if not winning gold. So um, considering um, the, the state of the sport here in Australia and how much more development needs to, to happen, I think as far as we go competitively on those world stages, um, we are a remarkable country.
0: Tell me about the realisation of another dream. Six or seven years ago, you and your younger brother, Lockie, created and packaged a brilliant five-episode documentary called A Racetrack Somewhere, which took you to remote race meetings all over Australia. It had television exposure and it appeared on commercial airline channels. I know it was enjoyed by many on Qantas national and international flights, and on the Air New Zealand uh, in-flight channel. You loved every moment of that experience.
1: Oh, yeah, that's, um, that will go down as one of the great uh, experiences of my life, and to share it with my brother as well, um, really, really special time that was. Um, that was an idea that was probably hatched um, during my longing to get back to Being Australian and and grassroots of Australian bush life after my time in Hong Kong, 100 floors up eating um, five-star meals, I I felt a need when I came back to Australia to really sort of reconnect with um, the the Australian bush. And and that was an opportunity, I guess, to tell those stories. And, um, you know, I'd travelled to so many country meetings as well through Sky all those years. Um, doing broadcasts at all sorts of far-flung country tracks. And whenever I'd get on a plane and come home from those places, Tappy, I'd often turn to my colleagues or the other people on the plane and say, gee, you know, there's so many good stories out here that, you know, we can't tell all the time in the context of what we're doing with the broadcast, which is very wagering focused but there are so many characters and so many great stories and All these race meetings happen in such amazing landscapes. Wouldn't it be great if we could tell more of these stories? So Mm. I parked that in the back um, pocket for a while, that idea, and and then I decided to to make a go of it and talked to my brother at the time who was keenly working in media and doing some fantastic filming work and said to him, you know, Birdsville races are coming up soon. What do you reckon if we went and – Covered this, and we use it as a bit of a pilot for this idea. And we mapped out, sort of, the brainstormed the racetrack somewhere concept. And I contacted Birdsville Race Club, and they jumped at the idea. And and that's pretty much how it all began. And then we decided to make a series out of it. Once we got great feedback on what we'd come back with, um, footage-wise from Birdsville, we decided that it had the potential to flesh out into a bigger series. So. Mm. We looked at other similar sort of race meetings that fitted the bill, so to speak, and um, looked at other far-flung places. And um, we did Darwin. We went to Warrnambool. We went down to um, Kangaroo Island, King Island, Mm -hmm. um, pretty amazing places themselves, but also the racing stories attached to them and the people as well. So Mm -hmm. um, we ended up gathering some pretty amazing content and, um, we got the backing at the time of, of um, Racing.com in Victoria to air it. Uh, we also um, managed to forge a deal with Qantas. So the series uh, we had aired on domestic and international routes for Qantas, which oh, is something I'm so proud of, to have content that you've you've made um, – you know, airing on one of the biggest airlines in the world and let mm. alone an Australian one um, and lots of friends and family that would travel on those planes would say, wow, we saw the series, oh, you know, we watched mm. it and that, that meant a lot to us um, to to be part of the, the Qantas in- in-flight entertainment for a while with the series. It was was really well received.
0: Not surprisingly, you've dabbled in the ownership <laughs> of a few gallopers with reasonable success one of them was a mare called Pomascius who won four races in the city. That takes a bit of doing.
1: Yeah, she uh, was a great um, horse that we leased and we raced with David Hayes at the time and it was a group of women that had been um, pulled together that all had a connection to or worked in the racing industry, um, administrators and all sorts of different people. At the time, I was working at Mooney Valley and... Uh, A number of ladies from Racing Victoria and the other race clubs were also involved in this filly. It was an all-female syndicate, and we had a male mascot by the name Mm. of Shane Crawford, the star AFL uh, player for Hawthorne at the time. Uh, He probably thought, what the heck am I getting myself into here? But Mm. uh, she was an interesting filly by Dan Zero Tappy. She started her career off reasonably well, and when she won her first race in the country, We had a huge party that they organised to celebrate and we were savouring the moment like it was probably our first and last win with her. Little did we know that she would then take us on a journey to almost Group 1 success and she was pipped on the line in the Group 1,000 Guineas at Caulfield. We were all there that day to support her in the race. She led all the way and just got nutted on the line by the all-conquering Miss Finland at the time. So. Mm. <laughs> it was just to be that competitive was was such a thrill. But she she won us a, a group race um, a week or so later at um, Flemington on um, in the Carbine Club Stakes, which was amazing.
0: Joe, mm. so they're hard to find.
1: Very hard to find. Yes. <laughs> so we um, we were being so involved in in the industry as as we were as a group, we were. Very realistic about our goals with the horse, but also um, very grateful for for the results that we had with her and um, Mm. we were just so blessed.
0: You're a regular contributor to ANZ Bloodstock News Daily, a specialist online publication dedicated to the Australasian bloodstock industry. In fact, that's how I found out about your new website.
1: Oh, that's good news. Someone's reading my column, Tiffany. Yeah, I do all the time. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, no, I I still have um, a pretty strong connection to, you know, horse racing um, through that particular column. I I love doing it. Um, I I have total free reign on on the subject matter that I write about. Um, it's something, I guess, as journalists, we all aspire to one day have our own column in a publication. So I'm very fortunate Alex Wiltshire, the editor of ANZ Bloodstock News, um, gave me that opportunity quite some time ago. And yes, yeah, so I get good feedback from, from different people in the industry in response um, to the content that I write, um, which is really rewarding and fulfilling.
0: In more recent times, you hosted a program called Talking Horses, on Melbourne Radio RSN. And that program gave you the chance to go behind the scenes with racing participants and to present stories which were often a little different to the normal. You loved it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, Great um, network to be part of. And when I, uh, at the time, was working for them initially, I was based out of Melbourne, but then moved to New South Wales for work. And They were good enough to keep me on board and and involved where possible despite the remoteness of my location from Melbourne and it's been a wonderful journey with um, RSN over the years. They're an iconic broadcasting operation with some wonderful people um, that work there and every day, every hour, every minute they're pumping out fantastic content. So I really enjoyed um, working with RSN for all that time and talking horses quite um, literally was great fun.
0: Joe, let's fast forward to March of 2023. You're living with your partner, Andrew Talbot, on a lovely 3,500-acre property at Corindai in the heart of some of the state's best grazing land. Andrew, who's been with Elders for 30 years, runs the famous Kalara feedlot operation from that property. So at last you've got plenty of room to take one of those retired racehorses for a decent canter. I'll bet you've seen some beautiful sunrises and sunsets.
1: Yeah, quite uh, an amazing life I lead these days, one I always dreamed of uh, in many ways. I most importantly found a really good bloke to share my life with. He's an amazing um, support and friend and just the, 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 the ideal person that I for me, um, and to then share the lifestyle that we do together, and so many common interests with horses and rural life. Um, it's just wonderful to live out on the Liverpool plains. It's some of Australia's best agricultural farming land. Um, it's it's just a wonderful place and some great characters that I've I've met. It sort of feels like a bit of an extension of a racetrack somewhere. I love those bush characters, so I'm pretty much surrounded by them these days, Tappy.
0: Yeah, I know. That's you're right in your element. Now <laughs> Joe, I'm told you had barely settled in Corindai when you were invited to join the committee of the Karindai Jockey Club, and in keeping with normal practice, you found it impossible to say no.
1: <laughs> yes, I've been involved um, with the Karindai Jockey Club and since I've lived here um, for quite some time, and that's been a great journey as well, um, helping them to get the track up and going and firing. Um, I managed to hit up Andrew for some sponsorship <laughs> of the, um, the Corindai Cup each year. So that's now known as the Elders Kalara Feedlot um, Corindai Cup. And, well, it's, you know, it's actually a genuine good fit, I think, for the feedlot, which is one of the biggest employers in the region, to put something back into the community and, and support the race day. So um, that's worked out really well. Um, some great people involved there at the club that have been involved as families for generations. Um, you've got the, the Cudmore's, um, the Murray family. You know, they're all really synonymous with farming in this region and have and their fathers and their fathers before them have all been involved in some way, shape, or form with the race club.
0: Joe McKinnon, you've made a million friends in media and in the racing industry over almost three decades, and I am very pleased to be among that legion of friends. Good luck with off the track dot uh, horses dot com dot au. Have I got that wrong?
1: offthetrackhorses.com.au.
0: And under your expert hand, it will quickly gain a following. Good luck um, with it, Joe, and thanks for joining us on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Lovely to catch up.
1: Thank you, Tappy, for the opportunity to have a chat with you. Um, I'm very fortunate to call you a a friend and a colleague in in this wonderful industry of ours, horse racing and horses in general. And uh, it's a credit to you, all the amazing work that you've done for many, many years. And I just love this podcast. So it's a great honour and thrill to have been asked to be part of it.
0: Pleasure was all mine, Joe. Thanks for talking to us.
1: Thanks, Tappy.
0: The Group 1 Kia Tancred Stakes will highlight another day of group racing at Rosehill Gardens on March 25th. The race was inaugurated in 1963 as the Tancred Cup of a mile and a half, but has had several name changes over the years under sponsorship arrangements. The race resumed its original name in 2018. Younger racing fans might be interested to know that this race is named after Henry Eugene Tancred, who joined the Sydney Turf Club board in 1943 and became chairman ten years later. A progressive thinker, Tancred pushed for such innovations as the photo finish camera, starting gates, Electronic timing, and later for the introduction of the Golden Slipper. In sport, Harry Tankred had been a notable player in both league and union. In business, he'd been a pioneer in meat wholesaling and export, and as a racehorse owner, he'd been lucky enough to race the 1940s champion Highcast. The race named in Harry Tancred's honour was inaugurated two years after his passing in 1961 and has been the domain of good horses ever since. The most notable include Makibi Diva, Might and Power, Bozam, Bone Crusher, and the two time winners Tie the Knot and Octagonal. The Kia Tancred Stakes will be supported by the Vinery Stakes as the Group 1 features on Saturday, March 25th at Rosehill Gardens.